At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. At Consumer Cellular, you get the same exact coverage as the largest carriers, but for up to half the cost. Same thing, up to half the cost. Up to half the cost for the same thing. 50% the money for 100% the same thing. I hope I'm making myself clear. Consumer Cellular. When freedom calls, we're here to answer. Call us at 1-888-FREEDOM. Half the cost savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single-line 5-gigabyte data plan with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single-line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plan offered by T-Mobile and Verizon May 2023. So a weekend of playoff basketball is in the books. And certainly we need to talk uh, about all of that, starting with Utah Clippers. But the thing we need to discuss first, which is really a shame, is just how much injuries are now affecting these playoffs. I mean, you also start off with Jamal Murray and I mean, Clay Thompson's been out for the whole year. So you can't even talk about that. He was the team wasn't in the playoffs, uh, but Murray was out already. Jalen Brown was out already before the start of the playoffs. But the list of players who just within these playoffs have been affected by injury, it's just insane. The list of all-star players, I mean, probably four of the top 10 players in the NBA have been significantly affected by injuries and a bunch of maybe three or four other guys who are in the top 25. And then like every other, every single team has some role players that are out too. I mean, it's, it's just crazy. LeBron, obviously with the high ankle sprain, I think claiming that he was playing at his usual level is, would not be realistic as it wasn't for Steph Curry when he came back in 2016. Anthony Davis, we know what happened with him. Harden has played 43 seconds in this series. Kyrie just sprained his ankle. We'll talk more about that, obviously, going forward. Joel Embiid missed the game. Thank God he looks like he's 100%, but you know that can change it at any time. He has torn his meniscus. Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell is struggling. We'll talk about that some. Chris Paul had basically three games where he was pretty useless. For the Suns. So, I mean, this is just, a, I was hopeful coming into these playoffs that we were going to get a pretty good playoffs, that there were some guys who were coming back from injury, but it seemed like everyone was going to be ready. And it just, it hasn't happened yet. Every team, as of right now, even that's left in this other than the Suns, is dealing with significant injury issues. Yeah, and the Suns already dealt with one. And it is true that the playoffs are almost always a war of attrition. And whether you want to go back through various champions of recent vintage or deeper vintage, you see that the volume of high-end players that are either unavailable or limited is dramatic. And we just make the best of it. I mean, that that's all, that's all we can really do. But it has, of course change the tenor and dynamics of all of these series. And one of those is where we'll start Clippers Jazz, where not only did Mike Conley miss his third straight game, not only is Serge Ibaka a valued role player out for the Clippers for he had back surgery, so he will be out for presumably the remainder of the playoffs. We don't really have anything further on Ibaka as of now, but also Donovan Mitchell has been dealing, you know, he missed 18 games, I believe it was at the end of the regular season with an ankle sprain and has been some degree of re-injuring it at a couple points in the playoffs. Also, also missed the first game of the of the Jazz first round series against the Grizz and one of those games affected by it though I don't think it determined who the winner of this game was it's still you know we have to wonder about the lingering effects of Donovan Mitchell's ankle 
Yeah, and the the injury uh, we saw in game two when he was absolutely on fire, it kind of happened towards the end of, I believe it was the second quarter, when he was in the midst of that run of scoring 59 points in two halves and did not have the same type of impact in the second half of game two, uh, although they did, of course, win that game. Uh, and then in this game, seemed to be playing really well. I mean, some of the three-pointers that he's making are, you know, getting to kind of Damon Steph type of territory uh, when he's really heating up uh, in this series. But it was a fairly innocuous play. It's, again, it's the right foot, the right ankle. And I couldn't even really see an injury mechanism of it. You know, it, maybe his ankle was kind of turned a little bit di- at a little bit different of an angle, but there wasn't like any kind of a rollover from what I could tell. He just went to a jump stop, tried to pop up, and it seemed pretty clear that he heard it as he was jumping up because by the time he landed, he only wanted to land uh, on his left leg uh, coming down from that shot. And so he did say after the game, yeah, it's just, it's on when I'm landing that that's the issue. And that's, you know, I, I that was weird to me because it looked like he heard it on the takeoff, but, uh, and he said he's just going to have to play through it. But you have to imagine that his effectiveness is not going to be at the level that it needs to be this crazy level where, you know, I mean, really, it seems like for Utah to win games, he's got to outplay both Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. He didn't outplay either of them in the end uh, in this game. And Mike Conley, we still don't know his status. He's listed as questionable again for tomorrow. If he does come back, he'll be on some kind of a minutes limit. The burden on Mitchell is pretty big. The Jazz are not playing him, you know, these 43-minute type of type of minute loads. So it's definitely a concern for the Jazz, and the Clippers get back in it with a, a blowout win. Wasn't quite as ridiculous as the final score indicated. Yeah, I mean, we only stopped the live... I mean, granted, part of the reason we extended the live show was to see what was going on with Donovan Mitchell, but I mean, it, they cut... They, I think it was 18 or so with about five minutes to go, and then, yeah, it got... It got a little bit more ridiculous from there and we got asked a couple of times towards the end of that of like did this game change the way you saw the series and other than any potential further injury to Mitchell which thankfully doesn't look like preliminarily is the case like at least one that is going to affect his availability in game four or in game four is no I, I think that the Clippers at times they defended better i thought that they you know they were able to communicate a little bit though they had times where they were absolutely horrible and the three-point pendulum swung in their direction to a degree that you don't expect to continue 19 of 36 from three but at least from my perspective i i mean i always thought that the teams would be competitive in this series i you know the jazz are are very good i thought the clippers would be able to handle them more more comfortably without mike conley but i mean the clippers also were very close to winning game one should have in my estimation and this is a competitive series well so i said that before game two i think you guys you and i are actually going to disagree on that people always say we don't disagree enough so now now we'll, we'll disagree i don't know if i can favor the clippers yet just not knowing I don't. what's going on with mitchell and Conley. But I think I said I gave him about a 20% chance of winning the series after game two. Again, the part of that was based on Conley maybe coming back for game three. Obviously, he didn't. Um, but I think there were some things that shifted to me. How much those are going to matter going forward, how much the Jazz can adjust to those, I'm not sure. Number one was just that Ty Lue figured it out from a lineup perspective. Yes. And he started Nick Batum again. Amazing. He didn't decide to start Zubats. That was such a great decision <laughs> in game two. Uh, so he yo-yoed back. 
KP had a piece noting about how he has been just a crazy amount of trying guys. And there they have a bunch of guys that you realistically could try. But now Zubats is basically playing only when Mitchell is off the floor. Uh, Patrick Beverly, Mann, and Kennard are your other bench guys. Kennard also was largely playing only when Mitchell was off the floor as well. They, they had those guys together a little bit when Mitchell started the fourth quarter, which he doesn't normally do. Uh, and then Terrence Mann got back into it for uh, 22 minutes off the bench and he was plus 21 uh, as and Batum played 35 minutes he'd been at 21 and 27 first couple of, of games they did get back to doing more switching their communication was not perfect obviously uh but they and they also were doing the switch double they even what they would do because they know that the Jazz want to get Rudy Gobert rolling to the rim really hard out of these switches is they weren't quite putting two on the ball because they were trying to switch most of the time unless it was reggie jackson or canard involved getting stuck on mitchell but they did have someone even coming and they've been doing this all all series but even more so in this game i thought they have someone coming over from the weak side as well just to like briefly take gobert if they hit him on like that very first pass right out of the when the guys come together to switch because gobert is going to try and slip to the rim but then that guy will instantly get back to the corner so there's like a brief moment of vulnerability in the corner uh they're also going to the switch double more yep. which mitchell threw two amazing passes off of that in the first quarter to find the guy in the opposite corner but largely i thought that worked reasonably well um they did they have a bunch of mistakes yeah i mean this was not the 2016 warriors with their switching and communication and obviously everyone's gotten better at attacking switching as well to cause those miscommunications but they defended well enough to win and you know i know some were saying well hey this is this is an, a defensive loss for the jazz and we'll talk about that aspect too but i did think that the clippers looked better defensively particularly in the first quarter when they held them to 23 points the jazz did kind of go crazy in the third we can talk about how it was that they did that but uh they held him to 26 points or fewer in all quarters but the third 112 offensive rating some of that was was garbage time it was better throughout but the jazz also were basically hitting 50 percent from three throughout the entire game until the very end but the jazz shot 43 percent from two and that's right and that's the the thing that has changed and it was not only rough finishing in the restricted area 14 to 25 including some just like straight up missed layups remember this is not a clippers team yeah. with a ton of rim protection they had a whopping two blocks in this game one for zubats one for Kawhi leonard but the, the jazz were three of 15 on twos away from the restricted area two of 10 from floater range one of five from mid-range and some of those were really well contested shots some of them were misses that you know you could you could see falling but they were definitely better contested than earlier in the series to say the least man it is crazy to think that i've been working with helix sleep since 2015 and i think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners if you've never heard it before that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom and there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one size fits all they found the one formula the one mattress that was going to work for everyone my then girlfriend now wife and i ordered that mattress we ended up having to return it because hey guess what not everyone 
is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences, hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz, find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge it's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home you're like well how should i order this if i can't sleep I'm like yeah you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do i take my shoes off do i leave my shoes on but then my feet kind of hang off the bed because i don't want to put my shoes on the bed and is it weird that i'm laying here for more than 30 seconds you can't tell anything under those circumstances you might as well just order it get it sent to your house get that 100 night trial they're 10 to 15 year warranty depending on the model and there's never been a better time to try a helix sleep mattress because they are offering 20 percent off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace easier slash capspace we talk about all the time here on the program that's helixsleep.com slash capspace this is their best offer yet i can attest to that since i've been working with them for nine years and it won't last long with helix better sleep starts now don't forget that slash capspace url to let them know that you came from us when the clippers were on offense things changed as well they really were not getting anything at the rim hardly at all now obviously hitting as many threes as they did help but also having mo- almost all the time that rudy gobert was on the floor they didn't have any non-shooters out there or maybe it was you know a terrence man or something who can still hit it and so gobert got stuck on marcus morris a lot and morris uh, you know he didn't play that many minutes uh, as they went with uh, other guards as well but they had more shooting on the floor and Well, I still think that Gobert played well, and I did find it a little mystifying that his minutes were kind of held down. I think part of that was just because favor like they were going on some runs when favors were out there and Snyder thought he could get more time like there's this I I also saw this idea floating around that like Gobert wasn't that great in this game and you know I didn't think that he himself played worse within his capabilities it's just that the Clippers made it more difficult for him uh with the amount of spacing that they put on the floor and also just not trying to attack him as much directly and putting him into difficulty guarding that corner shooter and so really like the big stretch uh, of the game i thought yeah the clippers went up 37 26 in the second but the jazz came out scoring like crazy in the third but the clippers kept pace because Kawhi leonard really started getting to the basket and gobert just wasn't as active helping he just had it in his mind that he had to be guarding a shooter a little bit more so he wasn't contesting as much and the clippers got way more at the basket than they had uh, in previous games yeah and it was it was some of it was technically from flood range but yeah Kawhi was getting there more and also, I mean, I thought a huge difference was Paul George hitting his threes. I mean, he's been had some real struggles in this series, still did have four turnovers. It's not a Paul George game without a, at least a couple of weird turnovers. And he looked more confident shooting it. And instead of the what I said before, a lot of the best things Paul George did offensively was just getting to the free throw line. He was taking and making some shots and he did get some stuff around the basket too. But those threes, that was a part of why the Clippers went 19 and 36. That and Reggie Jackson going completely insane in the early going. Yeah. Yeah, he made his first four shots, all of which were threes. I mean, impressive because he he definitely gets torched defensively. But man, I mean, that guy's just shooting the crap out of the ball. And he's also, it seems like big three-pointers too. Like the to really blunt momentum quite a bit. Uh, I mean, the Jazz started 8-0 in this game again, and he was the one who got them right back into it. 
at the start. I mean, you mentioned George's six of 10 from three. They got him coming off of screens a little bit more, but many of those were off the dribble uh, and uh, against a drop coverage where he, he was able to do more as well. You know, I, I thought the idea of him getting switched on to Rudy Gobert with Gobert guarding him, I didn't think that was like so successful. He had an and one and he had one just like impossible twisting layup. I don't think he has the explosion. He's not going to do going at favors. He can kind of like go with, go with the push off P move and, and shove him backward and create some space. I didn't think that worked great uh, against Gobert. I would no. still be fine with that matchup if I'm the Jazz. Well, and you can see Gobert like, I mean, him. part of, part of the Gobert effect is also the shots that the Clippers don't take. I mean, 25 shots in the restricted area is okay, but they also took 15 floaters. And there were so many times where they, they drove in and a couple times where they should have thought better, like uh, that play. Well, that was in game two, but the one when Patrick, Patrick Beverly took it anyway, but where they would kick it out and try to get something else because it's like, oh crap, Rudy Gobert's here. Yeah, Clippers also got up more three-point attempts, and, and obviously they hit him as well. But Toom, I thought his three-pointers, that's uh, Gobert was spending a lot of time guarding him as well so Batum Jackson and George were a combined 15 of 22 from three that's that's pretty darn good and then Kennard was two out of four as well so I mean they they you know Kawhi and Morris were really the only three-point shooters that weren't hitting much and Kawhi had some pretty wide open looks too so I, I thought overall it was better this is also I think the first playoff game and one of the very few games even in their entire time with the Clippers that both Leonard and George scored 30 plus points and while the Jazz you know Royce O'Neal shot well and Ingles shot really well from three as well Clarkson continues to be on fire in the series Jordan Clarkson has 16 three-pointers in three games in this series but uh he was really inefficient from two that, that was a big part of their their struggles the Jazz yeah, just, just have it out there yeah. Clarkson was one for seven on twos didn't take any free throws and had three assists yeah, and the Jazz still with only 15 assists on 36 field goals. So a lot of a lot of this is off the dribble three point shooting. That's most most of Clarkson, most of Mitchell is that. Uh, but you know the Jazz are a great three point shooting team. I mean, it is very rare that they'll even shoot you know below 35 percent in a game. We saw that in Game One, but they they found their rhythm a, a, again. So yeah, I I think that just because the Clippers, this is now the Clippers playing the best way and the best guys, which they just didn't do in the first two games. You wondered if they were ever going to get there, and Ty Lue finally did. I mean, I could have told him that this was the best way to play after you know at the very beginning of the series, and also they're just the. They're not looking as fatigued being back at sea level. We'll see if a game five changes things. But yeah, now really the, the focus shifts to Utah and their health level, the health of their guards, because they just desperately need those guys to give them th that firepower. Um, let me see if I had anything else uh, in this one. The Jazz did go to a zone defense a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that was, that was weird. Yeah, and there were a couple possessions where it looked good, and then the Clippers, not surprisingly, because they faced the zone so much in the first round, getting Kawhi or somebody else to the free throw line, I thought that, that, that took them out of it a little bit. Yeah, and the Jazz, really, they were, when they got someone to the free throw line, they basically were like, okay, well, the center is going to guard this guy. They didn't make the adjustment that Dallas did of saying, all right, if you get the ball at the free throw line, we're going to try to bring one of the guards inside of Leonard and let the center back up a little bit. So Leonard was doing a lot of work at the foul line both in man and in zone uh, with drives he 
I would not want to switch Gobert onto him. I think he he is going to be able to beat Gobert if they have the right spacing around him as well. Like that that was a matchup I wouldn't particularly like because he's he's actually strong enough to get through Gobert uh, and finish. Um, so yeah, I don't know about that zone. That was kind of I think they tried to throw him off. Interestingly, we we did not see the Clippers zone very much. Although it kind of looked like maybe they were trying at the start of the third because the Jazz were just going so quickly with Mitchell at the start of the third. We couldn't tell was, what they were in. Yeah, I mean, he was like, I was wondering how it was that Reggie Jackson kept getting on him and Mitchell would just burn him hard with that right hand drive pretty much every time. And they got a, you know, just that initial drag screen, even off a miss, or even off a make, I should say, on the left side of the floor where Mitchell is just, or sometimes it's two screens as well, where Mitchell is just attacking to his right hand and either pulling up. Uh, obviously the Denver Nuggets had no answers for that throughout a lot of their series last year also but I think that you know the Jazz playing really quickly uh the Clippers still had possessions where a guy would sub in and they didn't know who they had and they give up a three you know they, they are not this team is not incredibly disciplined and they still make a lot of mental errors and their effort can wax and wane and that's that's why they're so inconsistent that's why they uh you know have been down 2-0 twice already in these playoffs and so obviously game four still remains a must win for the Clippers but I would favor them in that game and then you know depending on the health of Conley and Mitchell I might favor them in games going forward in this series it's going to be yeah I mean evaluating the Clippers is going to be there uh, one other point there was some heavy criticism of George Niang he had a very challenging game three turnovers two fouls in just 11 minutes and the problem there is the Jazz just don't have that many other guys that are worth trying Mie Oni was also rough in this game so you really going to give Niang's minutes to Mieoni. Now, if if Conley comes back, sure, you can reapportion things. You can maybe narrow the rotation that way. And then the other idea that I thought of was Derek Favors, especially now that Ty Lewis figured out his rotation better. Favors is getting exploited more like what happened in the Grizzly series, though Clippers do not have a John Morant. And one idea, I don't think it's going to work, but is worth considering, is trying Ersan Eliasov in those minutes. It'll draw some charges. You can space the floor a little bit better, maybe keep the offense moving. And again, I don't think it's gonna solve all of their all of their non-gobert problems but try it for one one stretch see if it works and if it doesn't move away from it yeah ursan trying to guard one-on-one and pick and roll might be just as bad as Could favors be. i mean i think you know he's a different kind of off-ball defender he does space the floor a little bit more but the problem there is it's just the jazz haven't played with a floor spacing big all year now given the fact that they're kind of just going one-on-one uh then may- maybe that you you're better off having that spacing but you know favors i think is still better than they used to have. favors was pretty good i thought in game one at least well and, impact and, there, and there were a couple times when favors was on the floor they had Kawhi. the clippers had Kawhi on him and they were still setting the screens for Derek favors when mitchell had him. i'm like no don't do that don't do like anything is better than that because it was bringing the guy you don't want into the play into the play yeah and Kawhi spent some time on mitchell but maybe not as much as in game two uh the clippers also had a lot of success with just straight up isolating and blowing by their guys or trying to with small small pick and rolls to try to get the advantage there and then force gobert to help and then they could kick out uh, for open threes or finish at the rim or just get to a a solid mid-ranger as well and you know the, the clippers are a very very good o- offensive team and i think they've we'll see like like they are now at least they are now doing the things that made me think they could have a matchup advantage in the series now a matchup advantage isn't the same as just the advantage in the series right but it's just 
they are able to do the things that if you can do them well will cause the jazz problems on both ends to some degree although mitchell obviously has been pretty awesome as a one-on-one defender now when he's tried to take Kawhi, he hasn't gotten anywhere you know they do need to get Kawhi off of him but they they've got the ability to do that obviously so I think that's all I've got on this game here. Uh, oh, and you mentioned Niang as well. Uh, Mie Oni also really struggled. The, the walking loose ball foul and had a couple of open looks, just hasn't been able to knock those down. He was 0 of 2 from 3 in 8 minutes. And so I think Conley coming back, even if he can't play his full minutes, just redu- you if you have Conley back, you probably can uh get niang's role like very much reduced and not play oni at all like those guys played a combined 19 minutes now you do get smaller there which can also be a concern defensively um and you know having two small guards on the floor with that Kawhi and pg can kind of go after you know that that's not amazing either uh like that's one thing the jazz have had a little bit more size out there so they're probably at least in this series a better defensive team without mike conley in other series where you've got mike conley you know to guard John Morant, for instance, I think that they're he, they're better with him. But in this series, with the size that the Clippers have in the wing, maybe not. Well, and so, then, but they're obviously way better on offense. One other big kind of bigger point on this is that for the Phoenix Suns, who advance, we'll talk about that later. This potentially being a longer series is good news, not only because they get more rest, but because whoever makes it out is going to be more tired. And potentially, I mean, we hope nobody gets gets injured, but it increases the risk. Yeah, I would certainly be surprised if the Clippers don't win an A additional game in this series. But then again, if they if they lose game two or game four, then obviously the Jazz probably are favored in game five. Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice heavy material that'll keep you warm it's not too hot as well so i was able to wear it in the car not be too hot step out of the car and still be warm enough when i was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that i didn't feel like i needed my jacket even when it was cold outside things are amazingly durable i proposed to my wife wearing an american giant hoodie in the grand canyon almost seven years ago i still own that same hoodie i still wear it constantly and american giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us let's talk now of brooklyn and milwaukee and well i do want to give the bucks some credit because i think their defense has been much better yes. in games three and four uh with the uh the mike budenholzer vizini approach of going back to the beginning of what they've always done but the loss of Kyrie irving obviously is a complete disaster for brooklyn uh they fought gamely kevin durant fought gamely uh but he 
suffered through he, he did some stuff in the third but he suffered through one of his worst playoff games in a while pj tucker was allowed to really get into him physically um you know we can talk more about that but just the loss of irving the way that that looked coming down straight like 90 degree onto the bone didn't have any idea the guy was there down as long as he was walking boot and crutches after the game i I would be shocked if he's able to play in the next game and james harden they said they don't want to rush him back he's doing some on-court work but also doesn't sound like he's the type of on-court work where he would be close and i mean we're we're at essentially eight days after he initially injured it right now and maybe you know if they go down three two maybe they bring him back regardless in in game six but i just maybe they can do it with the home crowd but it's it's really they're gonna be significant underdogs in any game going forward without irving or or harden despite the fact that the bucks still sort of are pretty unimpressive to me offensively milwaukee ended the game and remember there was some there was some garbage in this they ended it with a 106 offensive rating uh, I, I forgot to pull it. I was going to pull it for the first three quarters. But um, actually, I just did. Um, 105 during during that portion of the game. And I, I agree with you. I thought there were times, well, especially in in transition. Like I thought that when, the, you know, the feed, whether we're talking feedback loops or just when they were able to get the ball moving, the Bucks were, it looked, it looked reasonable. And there were a couple of little things that like specific plays that they liked. Like there was one where I believe it was Middleton kicked it out to Brooke Lopez. Lopez had the, he had the three, but he, you know as they closed out hard but got it to Middleton and they forced a little reaction and then I, I then they hit the cutter I think it was Giannis for a dunk and you know those sorts of ball movement take advantage of the reaction those sorts of things were a little bit better but well, well a few other things were better too right like they got up 47 three-point attempts and yeah. uh 27 in the first half they had 27 assists on 39 field goals when they were well below the 50% mark in terms of their assisted buckets so Thing did and look and they didn't turn the ball transition. over nearly as much either. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, uh, but there's, but, I, but yeah. But like, I, I think that, and I, you know, I saw some of the, you know, the shit talking that was going on on Twitter for Duran. No, he needs the other stars. It's like, also remember how Sean Marks, and I'm not criticizing him for this, structured their team. So not only are you paying three guys a ton of money and that limits your flexibility for everything else, though they did retain Joe Harris, when you have three dominant offensive players the limited resources you have for the rest of your team. It is prudent and advisable to throw those to shore up other things and make shot creation maybe the least important thing that you're prioritizing for all these spots. You want defense, you know, ideally. Shooting, effort, you know, tone, like all that type of stuff. And so when you lose two of the three, especially in some ways these two of the three, it creates a circumstance where you have to put other players in positions that they're not particularly able to handle. Now, they, they have Mike James. James played 20 minutes in this game. I didn't think the offense looked particularly good in his minutes after Kyrie went down, but it puts a lot on Kevin Durant's shoulders, and especially when you consider the Bucks having this level of defensive talent and some of the other limitations of Durant's team, it's like, he maybe can do it for a single game. You know, like he can get hot. He, you know, it's hard to stop him individually. But like some of the like some of the turnovers that he had, some of the passes that they were kind of trying to have him make, it just it just didn't work. 
No, I mean, their number two shot creator is someone who is playing in the EuroLeague a couple of months ago and was not supposed to be in their rotation at all. And Mike James is the really the only other guy in Korea. I mean, Blake Griffin now is, are they going to have to like post up Blake Griffin against the switch now, you know, the, to try and like get some offense that way? I mean, they are very, very limited. And Kevin Durant, the burden on him was massive. He started off again with unbelievable defensive energy in the first quarter. And don't forget, Brooklyn led this game 34-23 at one point right at the start of the second and KD had one of the most ridiculous closeout blocks I've ever seen in my life on a PJ Tucker corner three in the first quarter and he was you know still protecting the rim but particularly the physical toll that Tucker was taking on him and you know he really was not able to get off much uh, with Tucker I mean when Tucker is on him he's not getting good shots um other than from the foul line on occasion when anybody else is on him then he's starting to get some pretty good shots but uh he finished up with 28 points 9 of 25 and five assists five turnovers also one of eight from three some pretty difficult three-point attempts as well certainly capable of making those but also I thought really for the first time, particularly in the third quarter, they started to let go of the rope on Giannis and let him get to the rim. They weren't really walling off the paint the way they had and obviously giving up 27 three-point attempts in the first half was not really the way the Nets wanted to play. Even though they they were holding him in the first quarter, they still held him down to like 30% from two and Giannis was just like smoking layups, which is crazy because he's an 80% shooter at the rim, but he started making more of those um still can't hit a free throw he's five of ten but it was uh and still had some turnovers but i think the with kd not being able to give his all defensively as much anymore also i think jeff green he's another body on Giannis, but griffin guards him a lot better as well bruce brown you know i he looked okay ish he, he, looked, he looked better than i thought he would but better than i thought he would was not perfect <laughs> yeah i mean we still he never was on the injury report i mean he may have just gotten hit below the belt and that was like his problem at the end of the game three Certainly, obviously, the Nets are going to rue that opportunity right now because, I mean, they're, as sad as it is to say, I think the Bucks are probably favored in this series right now with Irving. I mean, my guess, if you put a gun in my head, like, does Irving play again in this series? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no either. Put, I mean, yeah. I mean, my first yeah, thought, I, I, I just, so I had, I watched the game a little bit later and I, I knew that he got hurt, but I hadn't seen the clip. And when I saw it, I just went, oh no. Like it was, it wasn't, you know, like the, the worst ankle sprain I've ever seen, but it looked to me like it was going to be one that'll, that'll linger for a little while. And the Nets don't have a little while because this series, Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, if both Irving and Harden are out on Tuesday, which was my current expectation, they're heavy underdogs in that game. And then it's, you have to win one out of two. And who knows if they even get one of those guys back by that point. I mean, I imagine if Irving is out and they're in an elimination scenario, they'll try hard. But I also just don't have a great expectation for what he's going to be able to do or if he can do it that he's not going to re-injure it uh, and then Irving I mean maybe they'll try to try him out there um but and the other thing with Irving is that it, Drew Holiday was really causing problems for him when uh, other than one inbounds play where he just completely fell asleep and let Irving like walk into a wide open three uh Irving kept trying to isolate against him still you could tell they tried to dial up more pick and rolls but Irving is just not he's not that great of a pick and roll player like he really does want to iso and 
so you know i think they should do more small small pick and rolls perhaps as well if irving comes back but expecting irving to come back on that ankle and be effective against the monster that is drew holiday defensively you know i don't think that's necessarily realistic either now just getting someone out there who can shoot and play making stuff you know what's gonna happen to irving's defense because he's also gonna have to guard a, a real player generally in this series so yeah and you know what's harden's defense gonna look like coming back like what type of shape has he been able to keep himself into you know i I have real concerns about the nets even though i think that they are they do have the coaching advantage and you know kd can go wild but man i mean just winning two more games with this skeleton crew getting green back does help them offensively to some degree because he can you know space out brooke lopez in a way that brown and claxton can't but they also just you know too much of him guarding Giannis, especially when it's just him and kd and there's not another center i mean that's just that's really difficult so i'm uh i'm not feeling good about it which is really annoying to me honestly like this bucks team does not deserve to be tied like they should have lost game three the nets had just like a terrible shooting performance um and you know at least the nets have got to really be kicking themselves for that defense on drew holiday at the end of game three in particular and then obviously they were terrible in games one and two and Giannis to me like he was better in this game but he still has like been a massive disappointment to me in this series like I the Bucks are not playing like well enough to deserve to win this and if they just get into the east finals by default it's gonna really annoy me seems pretty likely at this moment yeah. and, and this is from someone who thought the Bucks were gonna be really good and competitive in this series and was wowed by how well they played against Miami so this isn't some anti-Bucks things you everyone knows I picked the Bucks plenty of times to do stuff over the and years, you and but. you really seriously considered picking them in this series at full strength yeah but i really just like uh i, I will a few things you just uh, for the meat of the game that we can point out here though uh you know the the way that the pj tucker kd matchup is being called is just massive now in the series as we mentioned kd kind of cooks their other guys tucker still had five fouls in 29 minutes in this game but that was with probably five fouls not being called on him in the first half certainly Inclu- KD, including that one when kd like tried he pulled a three from basically half court and you're just kind of yeah. wondering what happened that was trying to get a reach on pj didn't call it. yeah i mean now that's uh that's kind of a bullshit play like i don't Agreed. mind that one not not getting called um but pj i mean he plays on the borderline at all time steve nash after the game called it uh borderline non-basketball physicality but he also said hey you gotta play through that and kd has got to be a little little bit mentally tougher like it definitely the lack of calls was definitely getting into his head to some degree and i said the the nets started setting better screens at tucker now tucker is getting through all those i don't know what the heck injury it was that tucker kind of suffered briefly in the third i couldn't even tell what part of his body that was but he like they had to take a time out from that uh brooke lopez actually set up another play with a beautiful pass he had uh he had, he had an assist but also he had like a play to a rolling chris middleton who then set up a dunk from Giannis. and they basically they've completely gone away from any kind of brooke lopez posting up he was two of six and all six of his field goal attempts were three they are really trying to space it out to let Giannis and drew holiday and middleton work instead um bobby portis had actually oh, yeah. some nice run in this game defensively he, he had some big stops early he, he had a really nice first quarter had some disrupt had some disruptive plays around the basket had a kind of a, a a strip block which those are generally counted as blocks and not as steals um and 
he, he had, had, you know, Bobby Portis, important on defense, misses all three of his shots. Just what we all expected. Uh, yeah, he only ended up playing 12 minutes. And they, they actually, they went away from the units that didn't have Giannis or Lopez out there. In fact, I think they even played Portis and Lopez together, which I would be very surprised if they've done much of this year. Thanasis Adenokounmpo, the joyful defensive replacement, had the best ever defensive possession that someone has had while getting their ankles broken and falling down. Like he actually was so intense that he got knocked out or like Kyrie broke his ankles and made him fall but then he actually got back and got like a semi-reasonable contest so he didn't get in a highlight right at the end of the first um a huge play it's 34 23 nets and Chris Middleton makes a three-pointer and gets fouled by Landry Shamit. Yep. And I thought that they actually should have challenged that as the Nets because I think just for it to be a non-shooting foul because they could have wiped four points off the board and just made it a non-shooting foul because I thought that Shamit, it was very close. It was the closer one of these that you'll see, but I thought Shamit actually made contact with his forearm before Middleton decided to shoot. I was surprised because generally they're erring on the side of making that a non shooting foul um and clearly Milton decided to shoot it because he thought he was going to get fouled he may have just anticipated it so well that he got it off but that was a high to just wipe straight up four points off the board like that could have been huge uh well and Budenholzer had a had a good challenge where yeah it was Jeff yeah. Green was trying to draw his second charge on Giannis and Giannis was Giannis's third foul and Green was pretty clearly sliding to his left and they reviewed it and correctly overturned it and that became an and one because Giannis made the ensuing shot yeah although he of course missed the free throw yeah that happens with Tucker in foul trouble they actually brought in Elijah Bryant who played with Maccabi Tel Aviv a little bit this year uh as a to get a little bit of run during the the regular portion of the game I haven't really seen him play at all but I don't expect he's gonna play a, a lot he did air ball one three but he he shot it like he thinks he's a shooter <laughs> at least uh Pat Connaughton got a huge gash over his eye on what probably should have been a flagrant foul by joe harris but because pat didn't uh get up right away and sprint after him and cause an altercation they never looked at it because play just continued on the rest didn't even see him get hit in the face in the rebounding action but Connaughton was fantastic that was a big difference between the first three games he was two of five from three and had uh three assists four steals two blocks plus 23 and just overall effort level i thought generally which more of what we thought it would be in this series that the bucks just were out hustling the nets getting loose balls tucker obviously sets a great tone there i was shocked to see that the nets only had four offensive rebounds i think they had a number of other team offensive rebounds as well that just didn't get recorded and uh you know middleton hit a crazy three right at the end of the quarter as kd started heating up with tucker in foul trouble and that that was big to push it back to a double digits and never never really got close again the nets only scored five points in the first six minutes of the third quarter as they were just that was with tucker on kd that was really the nate year of kd's struggles in this game so i think that, like the nets have got to look at the film i think they need to find more ways to get kd open i if I'm in their coaching staff and I'm looking at 
the number of times they've tried to run KD off a wide pin down these last two games with PJ Tucker just topsiding him. It just has been utterly ineffective. Uh, even ISOing KD didn't really work as well against Tucker either, in part because, I mean, there were, I think, three shots that KD took in the third or in the first half solely for the purpose of thinking that he was being fouled and he was going to get free throws and they didn't give him any of those. And not saying they should or shouldn't, but if things go a little bit differently, then maybe his night is totally different. Tucker is on the bench earlier, but I think, you know, it's just got to be more high pick and roll for KD because they're just topsiding him off the ball. The the back door, they didn't really get that going at all. They don't have other passers or threats. I mean, like they're totally loaded up against him now. So I think you probably got to just give him the ball at the top of the floor and let him work because if he tries to work off the ball, like they're just going to be so loaded up on him that he's not going to be able to get anything. Um, Any other kind of thoughts of like how this might look if Irving and Harden can't go in game five? I'm too depressed. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they got to just, I think they got to totally punt on the offensive glass. They got to keep the Bucks out of transition if they can. Like, here's the funny thing, though. It, even if, even if like, my fears become reality, it still won't be as gross of a game as game three. <laughs> well, it's it impossible. close. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all of my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns you can customize. Things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets. And you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Phoenix finished off Denver today in a sweep. Denver did finally start Monte Morris and Will Barton. That didn't change a ton. Denver basically stuck to the drop coverage, give Chris Paul whatever he wants, and Chris Paul took whatever he wants. He had 37 points, 14 of 19 from the field, 9 of 9. Pretty incredible that Chris Paul can go 14 of 19 and score 37 points without even attempting a three-pointer. That was the one thing they really were locked in on not giving the Suns threes they only took 22 of them while denver took 37 and they're able to stay in it a little bit more with like compazzo now coming off the bench hitting three out of seven i mean probably the biggest story to come out of this was Nikola Jokic getting ejected with a flagrant two after he did not get a foul call he went after cameron payne and in extremely frustrated fashion gave an intentional foul on pain basically so he could complain to the rest you know the russell westbrook foul but he wound up and just smacked the crap out of pain in the face and it could have been a lot worse he got him right across the bridge of the nose followed through it was it was kind of borderline for a flagrant two but it was also just so utterly unnecessary in addition to the wind up and the follow-through and the high potential for injury like i totally understand why they gave it a flagrant two yeah like i i would have given it a flagrant 
run, especially like he was going for the ball, but he went for the ball so recklessly that that was a totally like a totally foreseeable outcome and one that Jokic did not care about in the slightest. And as you said, it was so unnecessary. And I'm sure that especially because the Suns made a comeback after that juncture, there will be those who believe correctly or incorrectly that the refs robbed the Nuggets of this game. I still think they were going to lose it going away. I mean, the Suns are better. They were getting better looks. And Phoenix had a had a stretch in the in the fourth where they couldn't really get a bucket. But I, you know, they they were they were going for a sweep anyway. Like I think they were going to win this game. And so yes, it's un, it's unfortunate that it got to that point. It's unfortunate that that Yoka, that the reigning deserving MVP got ejected from this game. But I don't think it changed the outcome. I don't think it changed which team is making the conference finals. And now in this case, the Suns actually have. So yeah, I think it will. I think it will get more oxygen than it needs to. But that's not that's not something I can control. So I'm not going to be that angry about it. Yeah, and hopefully maybe this can be a catalyst for change for Jokic because he just he still has these issues where he just gets too frustrated with the referees, whether it's not getting back, picking up technicals, committing euro fouls. He's at least stopped doing that now. Finally, uh, to get himself in foul trouble, that that only took three years, but so he's better. He's made some improvements, but he still has that temper, and you know, this it's. It, injuring another player because you didn't get a call is completely unacceptable um and he played a little bit better in part because DeAndre Ayton got in foul trouble in in the first half uh and the Suns don't really have an answer for him when Ayton isn't there but the series is over a lot of Suns fans seem to really be enjoying themselves having made the weekend trip to Denver and see their team win two games and so yeah as you mentioned they're just going to be probably sitting around for a while because this series was on an earlier timeline than jazz clippers due to the clippers going seven in the last round and you know paul can continue to rest up i mean this was uh one of his best ever playoff performances i mean there's still uh game one in 2014 against the thunder that was an unbelievable game that he played i want to say he was like eight of nine from three in that game there was his closeout game in game five 2018 when he had 41 against utah but this was certainly right up there and you know maybe the nuggets should have started monte morris a little bit earlier but it's it really was deck chairs on on the titanic like they're they're outclassed they had to work really hard for their points sometimes they would get threes uh and the suns it just was so easy for them uh to score in this series and we did get to see them dust off JaVale McGee for a short while, but that was, uh, that's, that's never as exciting as, as you want it to be. Um, so let's, uh, let's talk a little free well, agent small forwards here. Unless actually, before we do this. that, do you want to do a couple small pieces of news just so we have them, we have them handled? Well, not small in terms of that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we got two shoulder surgeries here. Yeah, we do. And we'll start with the one that happened that was happened second, and that's Pascal Siakam had to undergo rotator cuff surgery. The prognosis that we've seen is that he will be out five months. For those of you who are who are doing math, five months is into the start of next season because we're back on the normal calendar for the 21-22 campaign. I don't know if Siakam, that sort of a timetable affects Masai Ujiri's thinking for what he wants to do this offseason, but it is, let's call it a faint piece of momentum that going for it might not be as fruitful, though Siakam would still presumably be available for a vast majority of the next season. Yeah, and perhaps uh, an indication of why he had a little bit of a disappointing year, although he did come on a little bit uh, late. And then this also probably has bigger implications for the offseason is kobe white had surgery on his left shoulder they didn't reveal exactly the type but he sustained it while doing basketball related activities 
and he'll be reevaluated in four months so sounds like another, a rotator cuff surgery for him for example paul george had this surgery as well and you know came back in the middle of november in 1920 and 2020 you know, not, oh 19 oh, sorry i got what you were saying yeah yeah the 1920 season and you know the bulls have been rumored to want a point guard for a long time white is not of this bulls regime although i thought again he was kind of coming on a little bit late and it found himself a little bit when zach levine was out but for a team that really has gone all in and wants to make a step forward next year kind of waiting and hoping that he matures into a starting quality point guard next year is a concern also they probably need better defense at that position with zach levine next to him and they got uh nikola vucevic at center well, so and, and it's like it, they probably were going to go after a point guard anyway but this really solves it if he won't be ready for the start of the season it really solves it but it also creates another problem because this limits kobe white's trade value and i mean i thought they were going in a different direction either way and now white doesn't get the offseason yeah although if you're a if you are a team that's looking to grab kobe white and like buy law on him you're probably bad and you don't really care you're not doing it for october of 2021 anyway that's fair yeah um but another issue as well is now they'll probably they need really two point guards be it, and Sadoransky is on the roster but he's got five million guaranteed for next year and you would imagine that they probably want to move on from that he makes 10 million he's got five million guaranteed if they want to get into free agency if they want to make say the restricted free agent offer sheet for lonzo ball or get in on you know i mean gosh would they even consider like cal lowry or are they are they really that insane that they would go to like get someone that old in there to to try to boost their fortunes in like the next year or two who knows uh but you know so they're right at about 12 million in space with sataransky in theory they want to use some of that to renegotiate and send zach levine but we'll see whether that happens uh, or not um but if they wanted to renegotiate and extend levine and also have room for a point guard off sheet they probably need to move on from both thad young and sataransky and that leaves them with some pretty big holes uh you know maybe if it's a sign and trade sataransky could be part of that sign and trade if it's safe for alonzo ball but this does make things more difficult because they i mean i would guess they don't end up keeping sataransky around next year if, uh, if they do he's a fine backup point guard to whoever they bring in as the main point guard but that also <laughs> you can't bring that guy in if you're keeping Sadaransky around. So now then you also have to get a backup and you know, and maybe the Ish Smith type of market, they can grab someone like that uh, on the cheap or with the room exception or something. And uh also our friend Fred Katz reporting something that'll be music to Wizards fans' ears that uh there is positive momentum for Scott Brooks to return. Hey, it gives us stuff we need to talk about. Yeah, and he's been supported by Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook. I mean, Westbrook in particular seems to really like Brooks, and Westbrook did play better down the end of the year once he was healthy with Brooks. I mean, to me, you know, we did our coach rankings, and Scott Brooks was in the bottom five for Hollinger. Me, I would imagine you would have him ranked relatively similarly. And but they also, I guess, they don't want to rock the boat because you know they did technically make the playoffs this year. I who knows what's gonna what's gonna happen there. I mean, I don't. And this is another one of those two where you're just like. He's technically a free agent right now, but it's not like he's coming up in some other searches, right? And he certainly has a an agent who would try to do that and has done that many times in the past to find a guy a different landing space. So uh, it's Warren Legary. So maybe it's a little bit of a clue that if he's not in demand at all, even though he's technically a coaching free agent, that maybe he's not that good and you shouldn't bring him back. I think the other thing, obviously, that's being worked out is his salary because he's making $7 million. He got signed back when you know coaching salaries were like really 
inflated and he was deemed to be a really good candidate uh in the summer of 2016 five-year deal seven million a year so they presumably are going to want to pay him less i'm guessing that that's what they're working out right now because they're not going to want to keep paying him that much but he also doesn't want to take a pay cut so that that would be my guess on what the holdup is and announcing that he's going to return but it seems like you know there's no indication that the wizards are like interviewing other candidates or anything okay at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I think we could move on to the small forward free agent class and it is a very limited group i mean we we talked about the that there's some functional depth on the this kind of the starter level and the high-end rotation level at shooting guard and point guard when we did those earlier in the week for dunked on prime and small forward it's top heavy but it's top heavy in an unusual way Kawhi leonard has a player option and yeah sure it's possible that he leaves the clippers he has left a successful situation before he left the reigning champions in toronto but this is different because he chose the clippers and he chose his teammates to a certain extent and maybe Kawhi wants something different i think there's a distinct chance that he returns and if they if this goes really poorly that it returns and signs a one plus one so he can you know retain that flexibility moving forward and then theoretically sign a five-year deal with the clippers after that yeah and quickly the reason that that matters is he's only been on the team for two years so they have early bird rights on him they could give him the max eight percent raises but they could only sign him to a four-year deal uh you have to have been on the team for three years or have been traded on on a a longer term contract to have your full board rights so uh but he is also eligible obviously for the 35 percent max this year which he would not have been until this year that was the thinking on signing a two plus one you would imagine when he first went there so also four years would line up with paul george and the four-year extension that he signed but i mean just for shits and giggles here danny why don't we discuss some other potential landing spots for him if indeed it does end badly here let's say a five gamer loss to the jazz with you know again the pretty limited cast for the jazz Kawhi leonard is one of the and one of the few like players that you move have an earth for so if he says he wants to go there not there are exceptions but if you can make a move you probably do so he can choose his destination in a way that a lot of other players cannot and this class actually could have had multiple players who fit that description but all the other ones signed extensions so like lebron or anthony davis for example so you don't have to limit yourself to just the teams that have max space because the other ones you could trade other guys whether that's sort of similar to what the warriors did to get andre guadala or you know whatever how or maneuver a sign and trade would have to be worth the Clippers while with all that said the team that strikes me is a team that actually has significant cap space and that is the Dallas Mavericks who the Clippers vanquished eventually in seven in the first round in Dallas Kawhi could shoulder less of the offensive burden most of the game and and then if Luka you know has been so crazy heliocentric over the last couple of years if he wears down a little bit over the course of the game Kawhi can be their closer and occupy more of the time and also his defensive tools whether Kawhi stays more of a perimeter guy or eventually has to defend fours that could work within Dallas's structure as well yeah absolutely I mean that would obviously be a dream scenario it just you know Kawhi who knows what what he wants I mean it does seem to me even if they flame out 
out that he's going to still want to try to make it work maybe it would lead to a paul george trade instead if george you know really disappoints the the rest of the way but you know again it's always it's tough to trade a good player for other good players in the nba usually it's a good player for future assets and the clippers uh, don't uh, it doesn't seem like they would want to take a step back next year either i mean Kawhi still has proven to me that he's pretty damn close to the top of his game with the this playoff performance you've got the knicks out there as well i mean it doesn't seem like Kawhi would really you know does he want to be the new york knicks savior i i don't know about that um you know i, I mean i'd be it'd be shocking to me if if he went there but you, you never know um hilariously would, san antonio and toronto both have cap space don't think he's they, going either of those places probably not and theoretically you'd have to be matching salary and stuff like Philly would be fascinating. Put him, pair him with Joel Embiid. I think Simmons would have to be involved in that going, whether it's to LA or somewhere else. Plausible, be it, be fun. Back from basketball perspective, Boston has the kind of the personnel to make a trade work, but I also don't know that Kawhi would be super interested. And potentially it would have to be very similar salary going back or going out or whatever, because there's, they're right at the tax. Um, Have you talked about Miami yet? No. Other than but just the, in passing? Yeah, the Heat... I mean, so they can clear some space and it wouldn't be that hard for Andy Ellsberg and Pat Riley to clear a little bit more. Miami has has done something like that in the past, but I wonder where Kawhi would kind of fit in their mix. Leonard and Butler, fun on defense, but the offensive fit I think is a little bit weird. Kawhi and Bam would be pretty damn fun. So I... I Again, Kawhi has chosen destinations for different reasons before, but I think it, it's kind of wild when you think about just kind of where everything has gone. A, like even a, a negative Clippers thing, other than maybe Dallas, I think that the Clippers are probably his best short-term option, even if this season could still end very badly for them. Yeah, other than maybe the, the Mavs. And for the Mavs, if Josh Richardson were to opt in, you know, it's, it, it's a little difficult to create the space. Kawhi's max, by the way, is 39 million and i mean really you would have to have so for and the heat also have the 5.2 million dollar stretch of ryan anderson from back when they did the sign and trade from jimmy and they needed to get under the hard cap so the heat it would be basically impossible for them to create that 39 million in space with bam and jimmy still on the books uh let me just double confirm that yeah not even not even close um because jimmy makes 36 and bam makes 28 and my current projection is that the salary cap will rise the maximum possible uh percentage for next year be a little over 112 million i think minimum possible correct because they oh have yeah these, minimum the, the possible pre, yeah they have the pre-negotiated the, right right yeah sorry the, the minimum possible amount that they can for next year just because they're the the revenue was so low this year that it seems like they would probably uh be in that situation yeah thanks but i haven't thought about that in a while um so yeah i, I think that's probably enough uh on Kawhi, uh but yeah i mean i think the one plus one does kind of make some sense because you know the clippers need some more pressure obviously but I've, let, let's see how this year the, the la clippers could still be the nba champions this year like i'm Absolutely. not i'm not ruling that out in the slightest and incidentally the only other small forward and his position has been defined differently over the years that is more clearly starter quality at least at the beginning of his contract is the player who was traded for Kawhi leonard a few years ago and that is demar Derozan. Yeah, and this one, 
you just wonder what the hell is going to happen here because if San Antonio wants to just continue on here and pop you know, we haven't heard anything about Popovich retiring. So I assume he's going to be back next year. And if he's going to be back, then they're probably going to want to try to be as competitive as possible. And if they want to try to be as competitive as possible, re-signing DeMar DeRozan is probably the best way to do that for next year. Uh, he is 31. We have him listed as a three, but he can't really defend any position at all anymore. Uh, not that he particularly ever could. And but he's the best fit really of San Antonio uh, or on a team like San Antonio that's sort of, all right, you know, if we make the the lower end of the playoffs, that would be nice. We need some shot creation. He's still easily the best shot creator on the team. He had one of the more efficient seasons of his career. They don't really seem to care that he doesn't shoot three-pointers. They got other perimeter guys who can help defend for him. So it does seem like the cleanest fit to bring him back. It's just a question of what's the price? They have plenty of salary caps. I mean, they could bring him back and still make a basically a max restricted free agent offer sheet if they wanted to, to like a John Collins or uh, or Lonzo or Duncan Robinson. Yeah, or yeah, John Collins and Duncan Robinson seem like the most logical ones to me. But it's just a question of do they just want to say, hey, you know what? Let's see what Lonnie Walker can do and Derek White and Dejounte Murray and DeRozan isn't like the absolute cleanest fit next to other on-ball guys that you're trying to develop, but they might well, just not care. And especially because Derek White had to, had a, such a nightmare season, and so they needed Demar Derozan more than they probably will next year. Yeah, but they're they struggle a little bit offensively this year anyway, and I mean they don't really have a anything close to an NBA quality shot creator. Now you know they're usually worse with DeRozan on the floor but also they're that's because they're going against starting units but yeah i mean derozan pertle and dejounte murray i mean that's just not nba quality spacing in a, a starting group i mean if i were running the spurs i would just let him go and just try to get these young guys going and, and continue to develop you know we'll see where their draft pick ends up this year as well but let's say he were to return you know i, I mean it feels like something along the lines of like two years 40 to 50 million is kind of like where i would see this ending up but hey you never know right if anybody else jumps in then maybe it gets to be higher and also what does derozan want maybe he wants uh, a smaller role on a better team plausible yeah. i don't think he's a great fit for that but but maybe it's there and derozan has made a lot of money in his career if he wants to spend the last probably the last few years where he's a can really help a team in a different direction could be plausible and well, DeRozan, so who are, who are the cap space teams that might be interested in him, though? That is a real challenge because, like, the Knicks, it's always, like, he'd be such a horrendous fit that I, I worry about that. He'd be a terrible fit in Dallas, pretty bad fit in Chicago, terrible fit in Memphis, unless he was more of a kind of a second, but they even have, like, they have a couple guys. Yeah, to try to I, I mean, may, if you were going to play Jaron Jackson at the five, then maybe he wouldn't be that bad, but then they're never going to stop anybody. And they, Valentino is a big part of their team. I don't see them going in that direction. Is this leading you to the one cap space team that he could, he could elevate because they need a little bit of, they need a well, little shot creation? Right. I mean, that's, it also obviously depends on the direction of the organization. And I also just kind of have a feeling that Masai Ujiri might, you know, not want to relive these days but he is a good fit in toronto and but that would mean losing kyle lowry as well but they do need some more shot creation he's not a great fit with siakam though but it just kind of depends what they're going to do i mean or maybe even they would just sign him and be like oh maybe he'll have some trade value though i think 
I don't know how much the Spurs have tried to move him, but like we've struggled for logical fits for him in the free agent market, I think you have the same thing in the in the trade market. You know, maybe there would be a team that would be interested in him on a sign and trade, but I'm not really sure. You know, who that team would be either. You know, would it be a? You know, could it be? I mean, it could be one of these teams where just the GM doesn't know what he's doing in terms of like fit and is just like yay points let's get as many of these guys as possible so you you never know you know i mean he still was like supposedly in all-star discussions this year you know dallas has been like slightly bandied about and he doesn't get them any better defensively but if they if they wanted to go the route of just signing someone for one year and then trying to get back into cap space in 2022 you know maybe if his market devolved to the point where you would take like one year 20 million like they might think about that instead of just going with a long-term deal on tim hardaway also for 20 million but it's you know charlotte that doesn't really make any sense to me either they got enough ball handlers on the perimeter so like could his market just totally collapse and we'd be looking at a one-year type of thing i don't think it gets down to like the mid-level exception because points and assists do still well i I think it could i think it could get down to the point where he would consider the mid-level exception instead of like five million more somewhere else like i could see that being a possibility now like let's say it drops to 14 15 million then at that point the non-taxpayer looks all right but there aren't really any there aren't like of the teams that we're pretty confident will be able to use that there aren't any screamingly great fits there either at least in the rough look that i've done on it so yeah, yeah. I, I, I've had trouble calibrating on DeRozan for years. I thought that, you know, I thought that the, the trade that Ujiri made was great almost exactly for that reason, beyond that they got Kawhi Leonard and he helped them win a championship. But we'll see. And and with DeRozan, I'm less confident than I am with some other guys. It's like, oh, I'm definitely going to hate the contract because like like for Schroeder, for example. But it de- it definitely could happen. And with DeRozan's success and his history, and I, I mean, it wouldn't stun me if, if it comes from somewhere, though I don't know where that's somewhere is yeah he's one of the harder guys to predict on on this board if i had to predict i would say he ends up back in san antonio on a relatively short-term deal so that's it for for starters in either the uh unrestricted or restricted now some of these guys will end up starting but i'm talking about for someone that i personally would want to give starter money to over a long-term contract uh there's no one really there you know kelly Oubre and nick batum are kind of at the top of the rotation guys i mean i think if you're talking about who has played the best this year batum but he's age 32 would be up there i mean he's looked so athletic so far in these playoffs in particular and then Oubre you know, didn't seem like a great fit in Golden State. There's been reporting that he's not going to be back there, I think, from Tim Kawakami. He seemed to not be a good fit with Steph Curry due to just kind of his lower basketball IQ and he also has said that he really wants to start and he he also says that he doesn't want to or he didn't say this but the reporting has indicated that he doesn't want to sign you know another deal of the same ilk which was like the two-year 30 million that he signed as a restricted free agent in phoenix but again i run into this deal of like who is this cap space team that's like oh yeah kelly Oubre, uh four years 65 million come on down yeah it's a great question, and maybe somebody like the Knicks comes out of the woodwork, but I don't think of him as a particularly great fit there. Otto Porter, when he's healthy, he can look he can look like he could really help a good team. We saw there were times that he really elevated the Bulls, but Otto Porter played 300 minutes in 1920 and 600 minutes this year, so I I, I think the market... Well, he'll, he'll probably play 1,200 minutes next year. There we go. He's, uh, he's trending up. And so, that, so that's a real challenge, you know, in terms of getting 
a real va- I think a team could get a real value on him, you know, like if he can stay a little bit healthy, if they ask him to do a little bit less. Other former wizard, Trevor Reza, could have some interest. Remember, he sat out most of this year despite being under contract and then ended up with the Miami Heat. He was okay, but definitely not great for them. His current Heat teammate, Andre Guadala, has a team option, which you and I both expect the Heat to decline because it's worth $15 million. Iguodala is not worth that at this point. No, and it does seem like many of these guys, Ariza, Iguodala, you also got Wes Matthews as well, you know, are going to sign in that biannual exception to veterans minimum type of, of range. And it, Porter, it, I, it seems like, but my guess would be he comes back to just be in the small forward mix in Orlando next year. Like they did not buy him out of his $28 million salary. So they have bird rights on him. They also have no cap space. So it's kind of one of those things where like it was with Rudy Gay for a few years with the Spurs where it's like pay him a decent salary on a short-term deal to just come back let him prove it a little bit maybe you can trade him although they would have to go with a two-year deal otherwise he would have uh trade veto power there with uh his potentially losing his bird rights but that's like that seems like if he didn't buy out there and want to buy out there and also he had this foot issue as well that that seems like he probably would go back to orlando but you know the way when healthy yeah sure he's probably worth 10 million dollars a year but you just you can't believe in that at this point and tony snell another guy i mean these are all sort of eye of the beholder guys who you know they could get maybe they get like one year seven million maybe they get the minimum depends what team it is depends uh who else is out there you've got tory craig in this mix he's already 30 doug mcdermott actually could get more with this market for shooters being higher finishing up a a three-year uh 22 million dollar deal with the pacers seems like the pacers really want to have him back though and they have bird rights on him and and they also wouldn't really have much way to replace him uh you know they they have a few tax concerns there they've got about 14 million below the tax but they already have 12 guys under contract including a, a draft pick so i think that it probably makes the most sense for McDermott to come back there and that Indiana, they could use the mid-level instead, but I think as like a bench small, small forward and Kevin Pritchard saying, oh, he's all in on what we're doing. I guess the, the other problem is they, would you rather bring back TJ McConnell or Doug McDermott if you could only have one if you're the Pacers? When they're full strength, I actually think what McConnell brings might be more, but but the problem is you can find a passable, like minimum salary point guard, yeah. backup point guard who can't start a lot easier than you can find a shooting forward yeah and he's uh, mcdermott has a nice chemistry with Sabonis. that that one just feels like it's kind of trending towards uh him being back in indiana um the Derek jones jr player option is a really interesting one i would imagine he's going to opt into that because you, you think he wouldn't really have much of a market and maybe also the new coach in Portland might like him better. Uh, still, I, I mean, I, I, if he opts out, I can't imagine him getting that much or getting a multi-year deal at this point. He's due about $10 million for next year. He had the one plus one at the mid-level. There's also the Justice Winslow team option. Oh, boy. And, and, and that option, just so people know, that's $13 million. And it makes the difference between the Grizzlies likely staying under the cap and functioning as an over-the-cap team because if they pick up the option and don't move any other salary, pretty much have a round, you know, in the range of the mid-level exception. So in that circumstance, you typically stay over just to stay a little bit more flexible. 
in in their yeah, case, and actually, there isn't there isn't anyone that sexy to me for the Grizzlies that they could get in the twenty million dollar range. Like I wouldn't, and particularly if you're going to have to go twenty million and go out like well, four and years. There's there's a bigger compounding factor there, which is that the that spending that over multiple years puts the Grizzlies yeah. into difficulty for twenty two when they could actually have real money and have some momentum to get to get somebody. Now there will be more competition presumably in twenty twenty two, but Memphis, you know, maybe they had a, a deeper playoff run or something else and and also they'll have a better idea of which of their own players they want to kind of keep around so i don't expect i don't expect them to make noise with their cap space whether that includes winslow or not you know we probably glossed over nick batum a little bit too much in his situation because he signed for the minimum with the clippers the most they'll be able to pay him is pretty likely the taxpayer mid level assuming that Kawhi comes back yeah, because um, non-bird rights are basically useless unless he's willing to sign for close to the minimum. Actually, they're a little stronger in Batum's case because his minimum is so high, but not very much. Yeah, and actually, uh, probably got to assume Serge Ibaka is going to opt in as well. But, yeah, I mean, I think Batum, to me, should get offers for, like, you know, Jay Crowder money. The, the Absolutely. Way he's been. Now, the way that he just completely let himself go in Charlotte is a little bit of a concern. But I think if he's on a, a real team, then maybe that would that would change and you know certainly you would think he would have offers for three years at the taxpayer mid-level given the way he's played uh this year and you know there are any number of teams obviously that would want to jump in on that and he would be a great fit in golden state good fit with the lakers uh, depending on re-signing some of their guys you know i'm sure the nets would like to throw their tax pyramid level at him some of these teams obviously could just have so much in the tax that they just wouldn't want to do that but i mean he's he's one of these guys who can help any teams as someone who can shoot pass I mean, some of his help defense has been a revelation in these playoffs, also playing more of a small ball 4-5. Uh, so, yeah, I, I I expect the market to really heat up some for him. I mean, he could end up getting the most guaranteed money of any of these guys, which is crazy to think about, um, at, at least on the unrestricted guys. Then the restricted, uh, well, I will say briefly, I, I like... I thought Abdel Nader, who at age 27 was playing pretty well, playing some of the best defense of his career. Um, and then he obviously had to have this knee surgery. So he's not going to get more than the minimum, but he's someone I would be targeting uh, with a flyer there. But yeah, then you've got uh, Taylor Horton Tucker as a restricted free agent guy. And and that's going to be totally fascinating as well. The Lakers reportedly held on to him in the Kyle Lowry talk. So they, you would think, are prepared to pay up for him. What do you think of Horton Tucker as a player? Like, is he a guy that you see as like a, for sure future starter no i see the path but horton tucker hasn't been he hasn't been a good enough three-point shooter and he also doesn't do everything else at the crazy high level that you need to be sure that somebody who can do that so you kind of need to, to do either thing for me i like horton tucker i think that he can he can create a little bit he can move the ball be, be can fit in on a good team but it's just as a practical consideration i mean shot he, he's 29 percent on his career from three on relatively low volume and when tht was at iowa state he shot 31 percent on threes so it's not like it was something anomalous and he was 63% at the free throw line in college and 77% now on again relatively low volume. Yeah. Obviously, so, I mean he's only 20 so you so you're yes. you're projecting a lot. I mean I think for the Lakers just to hold on to him and just maintain the asset and also have him as a possible to trade possibility. I mean I don't think that he's going to be like some awesome rotation guy for them in the playoffs next year. Uh but you also don't want to just like let him go. 
for nothing. They don't have many lottery tickets. Yeah. They have exceedingly but, few. I mean, when you talk about lottery tickets, if you are the Oklahoma City Thunder, obviously some of your cap space is probably earmarked for just like teams trying to get out of the tax and that kind of stuff if you are you know maybe probably not the knicks i think they're probably going to be going in a slightly different direction at this point san antonio might be another one but you know okc and san antonio seem like teams that would really try to get in on him detroit if they have that yeah. like 15 million or so yeah that would be interesting and obviously his situation he's arenas limited uh where you know basically his salary the most he can get paid in the first couple of years is the mid-level and then you could bump it up as high as the maximum that was like the tyler J- johnson going back to omer ashik and jeremy lynn on three-year deals where you kind of give them this uh situation where you can have a balloon payment at the end now the lakers can elect we'll, we'll talk more about this actually in the lakers section so we don't have to get into it too much but you know horton tucker like he is a name a big name there was some demand for him obviously hey maybe toronto comes in with a, an offer sheet if they were that interested in him in the in the lowry deal it seems like but he, he definitely makes much more sense for a team that's at a different portion of the success cycle than the lakers are yeah that's true and also you know who knows but also by the time if i were the lakers i would try to be pretty aggressive to get him under contract and you know maybe he just won't do that it's also you know he's with clutch so it, it, it seems uh, rich paul called uh the lakers we in an interview because <laughs> he had six players on there but uh talking about like the he, they he thought the lakers had the most talent at one point so you know it does feel like he's gonna come back there but if they re-sign Schroeder and they re-sign alex caruso and now you know you can really give them some pucker factor on the tax as another team lakers weren't able to get that ppp loan maybe they're a little bit uh <laughs> maybe a little bit light in the pockets anyway um anybody else who's like, like a name that you think is even like remotely interesting in here i think the ship has probably sailed on glenn robinson the third you and i both uh, oh you mean nobody signing him <laughs> yeah uh, is, is that what indicated that i mean i would still give him a shot um uh Keita bates diop just has impressed me at times with his defensive versatility but he's 25 and hasn't really been able to shoot he couldn't get on the floor for the spurs but that's just one that kind of like slightly pops out to me even in the slightest you've got justin jackson from that 2017 draft who's I really mean, been on the fringes i mean the practical considerations of defensive substitute thanasis antetokounmpo's free agency when you consider everything that's going on with Giannis is definitely it's interesting in some form though that yeah. a lot of that is not thanasis center yeah the, so the mavs are going to sign him in other words we'll see <laughs> yeah and yeah, yeah i mean, I mean we'll... this is this is just a horrendous crop i mean that's that's just the way the way it is i mean tory craig we saw how low his value was when basically you know the suns got him for a pittance after the bucks got him for the minimum yeah it was like a hundred thousand dollars yeah it was 117 something like that um and so i I think hollinger's tweeted out a couple times so and and our beloved tony snell he of the 50 50 90 season well and his final percentage tony snell this year 62 of 109 57 percent on three pointers this year yeah and he still hasn't done anything in the playoffs so i i don't i don't think that's gonna get him much of uh much of a work but he can he can eat some innings for you on the wing during the regular season just fine and that matters i mean in some ways especially for a for a good team because then you can occupy your other guys less all right well i think we are done here thanks so much for joining us 
And if you want to subscribe to Dunked on Prime, we would love to have you on there. You can get our salary sheets uh, as well. You can get this free agent rankings list. Those salary sheets are going to update live with all the trades during the draft and free agency. We're only a, a couple of months away from that. Hilariously enough, we're actually like 50 days away from free agency. So this is uh, this is basically we're going to have all our draft coverage coming up as well, our scouting reports. So uh, never a better time than this time of year to be a Dunked on Prime subscriber. And we will talk to you all next time. Till then. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.